Well, good morning. It's great to see you here today. Thank you for the wonderful worship. What a great song in Christ alone. I hope I hope you truly worshiped as you sang that this morning. And thank the Lord for what he has done for you in Christ Jesus. And we're thanking him for that as we make our way through this study in the book of Philippians, this series of messages that we have entitled, Life Doesn't Have to be Perfect to be Wonderful. I hope that's good news for you because most of us live in a very imperfect world, right? We live with and interact with imperfect people. We attend imperfect churches. We find ourselves struggling with imperfect circumstances. You see, because of sin and the entrance of sin into the world, there is nothing in this life that is perfect. But that does not mean that we can't still experience a life of joy and rejoicing. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, this letter to the Philippians, knew what it was like to be in the most miserable of circumstances when he wrote this letter. Hopefully, as you know by now, he was sitting in a prison cell, cut off from his freedom, cut off from his friends, cut off from his ministry, waiting on the verdict of Caesar to see if his own head was going to be cut off. He had no privacy, no privileges, and no promise of ever coming out of that situation alive. And yet, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, look at these words again. In the midst of all of that, Paul says, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul did not simply endure his difficult circumstances. He actually welcomed them. How could he do that? How could he be so positive in prison? How could he triumph over his troubles? How could he delight in his difficulties? Well, this may be a good place for me to help us all draw a sharp distinction between something we call happiness and what the Apostle Paul and the New Testament calls joy. Now, most of us in life today can find things that make us happy. I'm not at all suggesting this morning that you cannot find happiness in life. There are plenty of things here that can make us happy. But I hope you understand that happiness is a very fluctuating thing. Let me help you with something here if you want to fill in the blanks. Did you know that the word happiness comes from the word happenstance from which we get the word circumstance. In other words, happiness is directly related to the things that happen 
happened to me and is directly dependent upon my circumstances. My degree of happiness is regulated by my circumstances. Happiness then becomes a very external thing. It can fluctuate from moment to moment, from circumstance to circumstance. That's happiness. Joy, on the other hand, is a very internal thing. My level of joy is never regulated by what happens to me. Instead, it is determined by what happens in me. Do you see the difference? Happiness is regulated by the things that happen to me. Joy is determined by the things that go on in me. This is why Paul could say, in spite of my circumstances, which are hard, difficult, painful, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Paul could say that because there were some significant things that were happening in him that enabled him to react to his difficult circumstances with joy and rejoicing in a way that many people would say is very radical. Very radical way to respond to the circumstances in life. And it seems radical because most of us tend to respond to the difficult circumstances in our lives in in one of three ways. Let me just take a moment this morning and walk through those with you before we get to our text because I think this is important. These are some common responses to the difficult circumstances of life. Now, you just kind of judge yourself this morning, measure yourself, see where you fall, in these three common ways of responding to the difficult circumstances of life. Number one, I can focus on just the fact of the problem, the reality of the problem, the pain, whatever it is I'm dealing with. I can can think about all the suffering I'm going through. I can think about all the pain, all the disappointment, all the frustration, perhaps the anger, the bitterness, And so I feel sorry for myself, and I complain, I have a pity party, or I blame other people because of the difficult circumstances in my life. I point fingers. This is what I call the woe is me, woe is me approach to the difficult circumstances of life. That's one way. A second common way of responding to the difficult circumstances of life is I can focus on the injustice of the problem or what I perceive to be the injustice or the unfairness of the problem. I ask, God, how could this happen to me? I don't deserve this. I didn't sign up for this. This isn't right. It's not fair. It's messed up my plans. It's messed up my future. It's God, it's messed up my life. This would be the sort of the why do good things happen to bad people 
approach to life's difficulty. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we might even get angry with God about something that has happened to us or maybe something that has not happened to us, something we wanted to happen that has not. And then there's a third common response to the difficult circumstances of life, and that is I can focus on how how I can solve this problem. My overriding concern in this approach is to to bring the difficult circumstances to an end. I, I search for a solution. I seek relief, sometimes in all the wrong places. This is what I call the how can I get out of this mess approach. So, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? How can I get out of this situation? How can I get over this situation? These are common responses when we find ourselves struggling with one of the pressures and problems, painful experiences of life. I want you to know Paul chose none of those options. He chose to rejoice. The question of the hour is, how could he do that? Well, Paul knew some things that you and I desperately need to know as well as we face our own difficult circumstances, the unique problems and pressures and painful experiences of life that are common to all of us. Last week, we began looking at these biblical guidelines, this prescription from God for dealing with the difficult circumstances in our lives. Last week, we looked at the first one, which says, if my life is going to be wonderful, even when my circumstances aren't, I need a perspective to live from. I need a perspective to live from. We saw that in verses 12, 13, and 14. Paul had problems, yes, but his focus was not on his problems. His focus was on how God wanted to use those problems to accomplish his purpose. And we spent a little bit of time looking at the word advance in verse 12. You might remember if you were here that it was a military term that was used to refer to the army engineers who were sent in ahead of the combat troops who could then remove enemy obstacles and clear roads so that the combat troops could go in and take new territory. Paul saw his problems and his difficulties in life as the engineers of God. The things that God was either allowing him to go through or had ordained him to go through that were going to clear obstacles and open up avenues for what God wanted to do in Paul's life and what God wanted to do In the world. Again, that's a radically different way to look at our problems, but that is part of what I must understand and begin to apply in my own life if I'm going to be able to respond to the difficult circumstances of life with joy. Now, this morning, let's look at the second guideline, the second biblical principle, the second part of this prescription that God gives us for dealing with the difficult circumstances of life. Number two is this. If my life is going to be wonderful, even when my circumstances aren't, not only do I need a perspective to live from, but I need a priority to live by. I need a priority to live by. Here's what I mean by that. When life gets hard, when the difficult circumstances of life 
when the pressures and the problems and the painful experiences of life begin to press in on me. I need to be able to know and focus on the things that are really important in life so that I, as a Christian, can distinguish the temporary from the eternal and not let the problems and the pressures and the painful experiences of life get me sidetracked, leave me discouraged, and steal my joy. I want to let you in this morning on a secret. You ready? Here's a secret for you. I will live my life based upon either my problems or my priorities. You will live your life based upon either your problems or your priorities. The very trajectory of my life will be guided by either my problems or my priorities. Did you know that? That is true. You see, if I don't identify my priorities in life, if I don't determine what is really important in life and then live my life in pursuit of those things, then I can promise you I'm going to be constantly shoved around in life, moving from this problem to that problem, putting out one fire after another fire, dealing with this problem after that problem, and I will never experience the reality that life truly can be wonderful even if my circumstances aren't. I want you to look at something with me here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. We see something very troubling happening to Paul. As if it were not bad enough that he had been thrown in prison, now we see that there were actually some other folk, some other believers who were trying to take advantage of Paul's difficult circumstances. They were actually using the fact that Paul was in prison to try to cause problems for him and bolster their own standing. Look at this with me. Paul writing says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, I don't know about you guys, but to me, this is almost unthinkable. While Paul was in prison, there were some other believers. Actually, pains me to say this. <laughs> there were some other preachers who were going around trying to exploit Paul's situation in order to elevate themselves. Apparently, these preachers didn't like the attention Paul was getting Maybe they, uh, maybe they didn't. They they were jealous, perhaps, of his reputation, his position of influence. Maybe they didn't like the way Paul did things. Maybe they didn't agree with, with his approach. 
Maybe they were try, maybe they were judging his motives. I don't know, but Paul says they were trying to stir up trouble for him. Likely, they were finding some very subtle ways to criticize him and attack his ministry and judge his motives. Now, there's something you need to understand here. These guys were not false teachers. They were preaching the true message of the gospel. But Paul says their motives for doing so were horribly wrong. Paul said they were doing it out of envy. They were doing it out of selfish ambition. They were doing it out of rivalry because they wanted to build themselves up at Paul's expense. Can you imagine? Talk about kicking a guy while he's down. Listen, you want something to steal your joy in a hurry? Let other people start criticizing you, especially other believers. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ begin talking about you, running you down, attacking your opinions, judging your motives. That can absolutely devastate a person. Can I just interject a parenthesis here and say this to you? Don't do that. Don't do that. Those kinds of actions, those kinds of attitudes have absolutely no place in the Christian life and they have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest hindrances to the work of God in America today is not the persecution out there. It is the unchristian actions and attitudes that take place all too often in here. And you need to understand that people walk away from church. They walk away from Christ. And they walk away from the ministry every single day because of Christians who are critical and judgmental and incredibly selfish. I heard somebody say one time, and I have never ever forgotten it. I hope you'll never forget it. Heard somebody say one time, there are only two reasons why more people do not become Christians. Only two reasons. Number one, they've never seen a Christian. Number two, they have. Just think about that. All right, that, that was a freebie, all right? Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's move on to the text. Paul was not only in prison, but now he's being attacked, he's being criticized, he's being taken advantage of by these other preachers. Most of us, if that had been our situation, we would have been devastated. 
But I want you to look at what Paul says in verse 18. Incredible. After talking about what these guys were doing to him, this is his response. But what does it matter? The important thing, do you see that? I've got it underlined. The important thing, Paul knew what was important. He knew what his priority in life was. So he says the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Listen, Paul's priority in life, church, was to see Christ exalted. It was to see Christ lifted up. It was to see the Lord Jesus praised in his circumstances. So he says the important thing is that Christ is being advanced. The gospel is being advanced. So he looks at these guys who were attacking him and he says, what does it matter? Note, this is the only question Paul asks In the entire book of Philippians, the only question he asks, and it is a question of priority. Because Paul knew what his priority was. He never let the lesser things in life, even the difficult, painful circumstances of life, steal his joy. His resolve was to see Christ lifted up and others drawn to Christ. That was a singular purpose the passionate priority of his life. And that priority would not waver no matter what was happening in his life. Church, this is a critical reminder for those of us who are believers that life is not about us. It is not about what happens to us. It is about Christ. It is about Christ being exalted in our lives. It is about Christ being proclaimed through our circumstances. It's about Christ's purposes being advanced by everything we say and do, and even by the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in. Life for you and me as believers is about Christ and His glory, His fame, His renown. And all the things that happen to us in this life must be submitted to and understood and responded to in the light of that single great priority. Let me show you some things here in verse 16, that I hope will make this clearer to you. In the middle of these circumstances that Paul is facing, he says, I am put here, I'm, I'm put here in this jail cell, I'm put here in these circumstances for the defense of the gospel. Now, there are three words that are important here. The first one is the word put. Paul says, I am put here for the defense 
of the gospel. Now, this is, once again, a military term. We don't see that so well here in the English Standard or the New International Version. The New American Standard Bible makes it a little clearer because it translates Paul saying, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. But it is the old American standard and actually the King James that I believe really give us the best picture here. Both of them translate Paul's words, I am set for the defense of the gospel. This is a word that was originally used to refer to the setting of a guard. Literally, it means to post for duty. To post for duty. It described a soldier who, under orders from his commanding officer, was set, posted in a specific place for a specific purpose. Paul wasn't where he was by fate, by chance. He didn't find himself in those circumstances because things just didn't turn out right. He had been set, posted by God in that specific place for a specific purpose. The second word that's important here is the word defense. That's spelled different ways depending on the translation. This word defense comes from the Greek word apologia. It is the root from which we get our English word apologetics. The word means to give a reasoned argument for something, give a reasoned argument for something that provides evidence of its truth, proof that what is being argued for is true. And then the word gospel simply means good news. That's what the word actually means. That's why I like Young's literal translation. It translates it that way. Paul said he was there for the defense of the good news. Now I want you to look at what's happening here. Paul was in prison, chained to a Roman soldier who had been posted there by Caesar. But Paul was as much on duty in that prison as the soldier was because Paul had also been posted there. But by God, he had been set, he had been appointed, he had been commissioned to bear witness to the reality of Christ's presence, the reality of Christ's power the reality of Christ's purposes in those circumstances. That was Paul's priority. That is why when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he didn't call attention to himself as a sufferer. He didn't spend time elaborating on his discomfort. He wasn't seeking people's pity. In fact, he didn't want the Philippians to be distracted in any way by what he was going through. His priority was not the bad news. His priority was the good news. That Christ is real. That Christ makes a difference. That Christ provided him with the strength 
to face all things. And he testified to that with joy. Church, we must learn to evaluate our lives by this same priority and not by our personal comfort. Joy is rooted in the reality of the good news of Jesus, not our personal circumstances. And that is why I must put the great priority of Christ at the very forefront of my aspirations. And that is why you need to understand, and I need to understand this morning, that as a follower of Christ, my greatest longing in life cannot be for wealth. It cannot be for health. It cannot be for career. It cannot be for travel, popularity, marriage, earthly success, retirement, freedom from difficulty, or anything else other than the glory of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if this seems radical to us, church, it is because we have forgotten that Christianity is radical. If this sounds strange to us, it is because we have tamed and domesticated and housebroken the great and powerful declarations of our Lord to deny ourselves, take up a cross daily, die to self, and then follow Him. So here's the lesson. When I find myself in difficult circumstances as a believer, I must not see myself as a victim. I must see myself as on duty. Whatever you're going through today, whatever you're struggling with, you are on duty. Your commanding officer has set you there. Now, maybe he didn't cause it, maybe he didn't ordain it, but he allowed it. You have been set by him. That is why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, look at this. You, therefore, must endure hardship, difficult circumstances, the pressures and the problems and the painful experiences of life as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. When you came to Christ, my friend, God enlisted you in the greatest struggle the world has ever known, the struggle between right and righteousness, between good and evil, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And wherever you find yourself on the spectrum of life, good times, bad times, joyful experiences, sorrowful experiences, you must understand and I must understand 
that God has posted us there as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And our greatest aim in life must be to please the one who enlisted us as a soldier. Do you think it might make a difference in the way you respond to the difficult circumstances of life if you begin to apply this truth? I think so. I want you to bow your heads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for this day. We are grateful to you for this time. We are grateful to you for this word. Oh God, help us to understand that life, for those of us who would name the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior of life, it is not about us. It is not about what happens to us. Now, we don't pretend bad things don't happen. We don't ignore the fact that there are things in life that hurt us and cause us pain. We don't seek to gloss over the reality of any of that. But we do seek to get to a deeper level in our walk with you by understanding your great purposes behind our problems. So Lord, I pray right now for every believer underneath the sound of my voice who is struggling with any difficult circumstance at all or who anticipates that. Father, help us today to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. To understand there is an overriding priority that Christ be proclaimed, that Christ be exalted, that we give proof of the difference He can make by the way we respond to the difficult circumstances of life. Father, everything we do is supposed to be a witness. Everything we say is supposed to be a witness, a defense of the reality, the greatness and the goodness of who you are. So Lord, I pray today we would drive down a spiritual marker and we would say, God, from this moment forward, my great priority in life is going to be Christ, His fame, His renown. I want to be a messenger of His greatness, even in the worst of circumstances. What does it matter, ultimately, that I'm struggling here on earth? I have eternity ahead. What does it matter, ultimately, that I have this pain and this pressure and this problem when there is an opportunity for Christ to be lifted up, people drawn unto Him. So God, help us to embrace that priority today. And understand we're going to live our lives based either upon our priorities or our problems. And God, help us to put Christ and His kingdom above all else. That we may please You, the one who enlisted us as soldiers in this great battle. Now Father, in these moments, may You 
have the freedom to move in the hearts of people. If there's someone here today who does not know Jesus Christ in a personal life-changing way, oh God, I pray today would be the day they would embrace Christ, they would embrace the cross, they would embrace the forgiveness you offer through Him. When we stand in a moment, Lord, that that person would just come and they may not know everything, may not understand what they need to do, but God, they just know in their heart of hearts something is not right, they don't have a relationship with you and they want to discover the fullness of life that only Christ can bring. Lord, I pray you'll give that person the courage to step out from where they are. Come take my hand and allow us to share the difference Christ can make. If there are believers here today, Lord, who need to come at the very point of this message, we've been negative, we've been critical, we've sung the woe is me song or we've sung the why me song or we've sung the how in the world can I get out of this mess song instead of rejoicing because of an opportunity to exalt Christ. Lord, I pray you'll convict us as well. Do your work in these moments, Father, is our prayer that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing, if you would, please. We're going to sing together this great old hymn, Living for Jesus, a life that is true. If God's speaking to your heart, you need to respond. This altar's open. I'll pray with you this morning. You come as God speaks to your heart this morning, right now, as we sing.